I learned a new word this week, permaculture. It's an agricultural term where you directly utilize the patterns and features in natural ecosystems. It's good for farmers, but it also has some helpful ideas for how we live our life and the way we care for people around us. It's seeing what God is already doing in a land, in a place, and coming alongside, working with God instead of trying to manipulate the world to our own desires. There are a handful of writers that when you read their work, it changes the way you live. Wendell Berry is that sort of writer. Today I talk with Regan Sutterfield. He's been studying Berry for years, and as an Anglican priest, he's keen on the formational themes and undertone in Berry's work. In Regan's new book, Wendell Berry, The Given Life, he paints the image of a modern St. Benedict, offering a new way for us to live in the midst of our current cultural milieu. My name is Nathan Foster, and this is the Renovare Weekly Podcast. Reagan, how are you? Doing well. It's good to, good to see you. you. You've written this book on Wendell Berry, and full disclosure, when I first saw the title, I thought, why a book on Wendell Berry when I can read Wendell Berry himself? Um, but you've really pulled it off. I mean, there's some wonderful contributions you make in putting his work together. But I wonder if you could um, just kind of start basic with letting people know uh, who Wendell is and uh, a little bit about him. Sure. So Wendell Berry is, um, first and foremost, he's a writer, and he has written um, a large number of books, um, more categories than, than most writers have. have um, he, he writes essays and fiction and poetry and has, has been a successful writer in, in all of those um, genres. But he is also um, a, a great advocate for small-scale local agriculture and the, the preservation of, of what he calls working landscapes in America. And if you go to a farmer's market, and there, there's been a, a recent surge in, in interest in local food and um, particularly organic and, and local food, that has all much of it has come from the work of Wendell Berry. Um, people like Michael Pollan, who wrote The Omnivore's Dilemma, mm-hmm. cite Wendell Berry as as one of the, the key influences for their own work. And he he has has been a, a great advocate for, for small farmers for a very long time. And, and he is a, a small farmer himself. Mm-hmm. But um, Berry is In Kentucky, is also, right? In, in Kentucky, mm-hmm. yes. So he, he bought land not far from from where his his father and grandfather both farmed and um, in Henry County, Kentucky and northern Kentucky. And he writes about a fictional town called um, Port William, and he lives in the town of Port Royal. Okay. and they are are very very similar in in many ways. and it's a way for him to reflect on his community in a way that um, he he couldn't if he was chronicling it in a, in a more memoir or autobiographical way. Um, he can sort of complete some of the circles with, with his imagination. Mm. But Barry is, is also a, a Christian and has written um, 
from both his his faith and his reflections on some of the great um, Christian writers in in history, not not only the Bible, but also uh, writers like Milton and Shakespeare and Dante have been deeply formative for for Barry's vision. And and Barry in turn has has been very influential on a, on a number of of theologians, um, ranging from the the Catholic philosopher Alistair McIntyre to um, Stanley Hauerwas to um, a, a, num- a number of theologians um, have found great resonance in in what what Barry has to offer. Mm-hmm. He, he's I think of Barry sometimes as like the one of the few literary giants in America we have today. Is that, am I overstretching that statement? Not at all. Um, though, though, it's, though it's interesting because he is a he is a literary giant, but also unknown to a number of people. Um, so there are these very dedicated Barry fans who really know <laughs> Barry's work and and um, and and read as much as they can of it. And then and then there are a large number of people who just have never even heard of Wendell Berry. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a documentary that's that's traveling around right now called um, Look and See that is about it's a portrait of Wendell Berry hmm. and um and it started out of this filmmaker um had a previous film where she had used a poem of Berry's and um people really resonated with the poem and were curious who had, who had written it and she was surprised by how many people had not heard of Berry hmm. and so made this this portrait of of him and um and and part of the impetus for my my book is um to to think about um, how to introduce Barry to a to a Christian audience and draw out some of the the really relevant themes um, for practicing Christians. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I discovered Barry through his fiction, and and I'd kind of heard that he was Christian, but but it's all in there in in such an accessible way. And what what I found is people either don't know who Wendell Barry is, or they are just smitten. To no end by him, right? He's kind of got a cult following of sorts. Oh, absolutely. He he he's the sort of writer that the people when they read his work, it can resonate in a in a very profoundly deep way that that the results in in changes in the way you live. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I live not too far from Heifer International has a has a training ranch um, where. It's it's an organization for um, that does agricultural relief and helps um, people in, in poverty through through by agriculture, animals, right? By, by cow by animals, village, right? and yes, right. And so um, there, there's a there the organization is based here in, in Little Rock, Arkansas, where I'm from, and um, they have a have a, a ranch where young people can come and intern. And many of those young people that come and, and intern there have read Wendell Berry and that's the reason why they are exploring agriculture. And, um, and so he, he's the, the kind of writer that people read maybe in college or, um, at, at some point early in life and, um, will change the trajectory of, of their whole careers just, um, through, through reading, through reading Barry's work. And I think it's because he's speaking to a truth and communicating that truth in a really profound and beautiful way and um and he he has a a vision of of, of a well lived life that that others want to follow mm-hmm. when you really pull out in your book the contemporary relevance 
to this simple life that he's lived. Um, tell us a little about about the book. Sure. So, um, so the book looks at Barry's work, which is which is vast. And so, so you, you said earlier on, um, you know, why not just read Barry? Which is absolutely the, my hope. Hope from this book is that others would would read Barry, and that that would be the um, what what this book would lead to. But but Barry has written a great um, deal of of literature, and it would it would be hard for someone just to to sit down and get the the full scope of it. Mm-hmm. And and even in this book, I I haven't even begun to to get that full scope. But I wanted to highlight some some key aspects of his work and to build all of those around what I think is is one of the most important insights that Barry offers, and that is that we live given lives in the given world. And and so so part of what I think Barry helps us to do is to understand that we are creatures among other creatures and that there is an art to being a creature as as the former archbishop of of Canterbury Rowan Williams said that we've lost the art of being a creature mm-hmm. and so i think that Wendell Berry is is someone who helps us recover that art of 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 recognizing that our lives are gifts and that the world around us is a gift and that that means something for how we live in it and and so what that means is is what his his work is really exploring and and trying to tease out and so i i explore a number of of key themes such as the practice of sabbath or the practice of stability um barry is a, a great advocate for finding a place and really rooting oneself in it um and and that's of course a, a monastic virtue. Um, he also has some some wonderful reflections on on work and and how we work and it not just being um, something that that we do in order to to earn a paycheck, but work that is meaningful and works toward the good of the of the world. And and so I so I look at at those those various. Um, aspects of, of Barry's work and, and try to present them as, as he articulates them and, and then also tease out some of the the spiritual um, significance. And I should say, as I say spiritual, spiritual is not a word that Barry likes okay. very much. He wants to get away from this dualism that we've set up mm. between mm. Um, when we think about spiritual being, you know, seeking a heavenly reality as in heaven that is away and beyond and 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 far from this earth and and instead wants to see Barry wants us to to understand our lives as as more deeply integrated with the good material reality that that God has given mm-hmm. and um and and so Barry avoids words that that might um, take us away from that. I, I still think that spiritual is a, a useful word, so I, so I use it. But but um, but but Barry Barry's very very cautious about about how how his his words are are taken. And um, he's incarnational. Yes, I mean that's. I mean that as you're talking, I was thinking of the incarnational tradition, and I mean he just nails it in in his work. 
Um, Absolutely. Well, maybe just ask you, there's a lot of different directions we can go with this. Is there something in the book that you would like to make sure we talk about? One of the relevant things for us to talk about would be um, the, the prophetic mode that, that Barry enters in, in talking about Christianity. Because mm-hmm. Barry not only has some deeply implicit Christian understandings in a lot of his work, but he also has some very explicit um, critiques of Christianity that I think are, are worth worth talking about. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're critiques from the inside. Um, he, he sees himself as, as a Christian critiquing um, Christianity, but they're, they're important to talk about. You reference him as kind of the Benedict of our day. Where did that come from? Sure. So, so I, I um, and it's interesting. I, I, I wrote this book before um, Roger Ayer's book, um, The Benedict Option, okay. came out. <laughs> Actually, our books came out around the same time, and and he, um, but as I for for quite a while now, I, I've I I read Alistair McIntyre's book After Virtue, and at the end of that book, McIntyre. Um, writes that what we need now, if we want to preserve coherent moral life, is new communities that where where that coherence will be able to play out against what he calls the new dark ages. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of different ways in which one can interpret what those dark ages what. What that means and and what those new communities might might look like, but at the at the at the close of, of McIntyre's book After Virtue, the the last sentence is um, and I'm going to paraphrase, but we are looking for a new, albeit very different, Saint Benedict, mm-hmm. and referring, of course, to Saint Benedict's um, role in in gathering communities of disciples who would live deeply coherent moral lives in the face of sort of cultural and moral dissolution all around them. Mm-hmm. And so so what's interesting to me is that I, I think that Barry in in many ways presents a a lived vision of a coherent moral life that um, it's not just a, a spiritual teaching, but it's something that people can practically embody and, and live into. And it's also one that calls us to some of those key Benedictine values, like the value of stability, mm-hmm. which um, Benedict emphasized, really rooting oneself in a community so that one could learn all of the lessons and important things that that come from that long stability in a place. Mm-hmm. And so Barry's reasons are are somewhat different for for emphasizing stability, but but it still echoes that Benedictine mode. In the same way, Barry also talks about the importance of mixing um, our labor with our prayers mm. and making our work a prayer. And that again is is a very Benedictine theme. When I when I'd read that, the thoughts about Benedict, I just kind of pictured this post-apocalyptic world where you've got people stumble upon some ragged old copy of one of Barry's books and <laughs> just rebuild their society and find some sort of way to move forward. <laughs> <laughs> kind of weird. 
Hey, give give us. I mean, and and you do well with taking his ideas as a priest, right? As, as you being a priest, right. and just kind of teasing out some of these. Um, I mean, his stuff goes deep, really deep, and there's some very countercultural implications in in his work. Yes, and 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 as someone who's working as um, as a priest in the institutional church, uh, it's, it's something that, um, Barry has a lot of very strong critiques of Christianity. And one, one of the, those key critiques being that he, um, he thinks that Christianity has in, in many ways aided it, aided and abetted the destruction of the natural world. Mm-hmm. And that it's, it's done so because of some, I think, a lack of that incarnational vision and and um, a belief that this world is purely a natural resource for us to make use of until we are going to be evacuated into into some other some other place and and so Barry has a very uncomfortable relationship with institutional Christianity. But I think anyone who who reads his his work recognizes the depth with which um his 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 reading of the of the bible and his and his dedication to the christian faith has has profoundly influenced his vision mm-hmm. but um barry i i think fits in many ways part of our not not only a a sort of benedict figure but also a a sort of prophetic figure mm-hmm. in many ways what barry does mm-hmm. is is to um to to nourish this um alternative consciousness and, and perception to the dominant culture around us. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really the task of, I mean, so many of the prophets are, are really addressing the various idols of, of any particular culture. And, and in many ways, that's what Barry helps us to do is to name and dismantle the idols um, mm-hmm. around us. And, and many of those idols being the, um, the economy and um you know, big biggie economy, the um, mm-hmm. and 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 also our, our modes of, of work and consumption, and so 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 Barry wants to to um, us to think about our relationship to each other and to the land and, and to the whole created order in a in a radically different way than than what is typically given to us even even from our churches. Mm-hmm. So so an, an example of, of, of Barry's prophetic mode is um, he he offers a, I think a really helpful and something that I've personally struggled with for years um, having read Barry and and various work that I've done Barry offers a critique of of the Christian vision of work, hmm. which too often is more interested in in a kind of internal coherency rather than external. So, like it, rather than um, so, we want to be you know honest and and diligent in our work, and but but there's not a lot of time spent in in most Christian churches, at least as I've experienced, of thinking about whether or not. A certain form of work is is um, is actually worth doing mm-hmm. because of of how it contributes to a, a, a larger um, economy that is destructive to the whole of creation. Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
and we, and we think about this and how we use money and in investments as well. So to give an example, my, my wife was um, moving on from from her employer and and needed to, she had a, a retirement that they had um, developed for her. And so she was wanting to, you know, roll it over into an IRA or, and but she didn't want it to go into um, things that we're fundamentally opposed to. She didn't want it to, mm-hmm. to, to go into supporting fossil fuels, for instance, or, um, and so she, she was recommended a, a financial planner who was um, sort of billing himself to be a, a Christian financial planner, and and when she when she went to to talk with him, he said um, she, she explained her what she wanted to do, and and he said so you know you you don't want any of your stocks to go into anything that's like supporting like pornography or alcohol <laughs> or tobacco. And and she's like, well, yeah, but also like weapons and, um, and coal and oil and, and all of these other things that I see as, as destructive and in conflict with my, um, with my faith. And, and, um, and the, and the planner said, well, you don't really want to get your emotions in the way of your investments. <laughs> and, um, Rather your virtues in the way. Of <laughs> right. Investment. Right. Yeah. So, so, so that's exactly the sort of thinking that Barry is is very sharp in, in criticizing, and so um, to quote from from his his mm-hmm. essay, "The Gift of Good Land," which is one of his really wonderful essays um, addressing Christian um, faith, he says, "If the earth is the Lord's and we are His stewards, then obviously some livelihoods are right and some are not," and. And that and that's a message that I think we um, we do not hear often in in our churches and um, and and so and it's and it's something that I think we should spend some time in you know discernment and, and grappling with mm-hmm. what um, what kind of livelihood is is right for for Christians to have and what what sort of livelihood is off limits and mm-hmm. uh, you know Barry really he's not. A liberal or a conservative, and in fact, his his, um, his his essay collection, another turn of the crank. He 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 starts out with this warning to um, Democrats and Republicans on you know how e- either side might take his words and and like certain parts of it, and then be. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, my sense is he's wanting truth and wrestling with these issues born out of his born out of the gospel, born out of a conviction towards. Uh, living well before God. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about his prophetic voice in terms of larger systems and the economy. Um, a number of years ago, I started teaching a sociology class at university. And the more I begin to work with some of these bigger issues, this awareness that we're passive participants in systematic evil around the world, and I hear some of those kind of echoes in uh, Barry's work. I wonder if you could speak to some of that. Absolutely. So one one of the one of the key I think insights that Barry offers is particularly in thinking about our economic relationships is that we have, particularly since the industrial revolution and, and increased specialization, we've given over more and more of our lives to. Um, to economic proxies, where whether it's individuals or corporations, 
fulfill more and more basic functions of our of our lives. And so Barry thinks that this th- these proxies basically alienate us from our our relationships with our our economic life which he goes back to the to, to the greek which is you know economy is is oikos nomos which is this the the oikos is the home and the, and the nomos is the the rural or management so it's this household management one of his great essay collections is is called um home economics and and in that he he has a he has an essay called the two economies and so he talks about how all of our all of our economic life really happens within two economies but we often fail to recognize that the other we only recognize one of those economies and not the other and the the so so he he relates this story where he and, and his friend Wes Jackson, who's an, another agrarian thinker, um, were having this this debate about what would a way of of measuring economic goods be that would be big enough to really incorporate everything that's good, and so because they were struggling with you know with the money economy, there's so many things that are that are truly good and beautiful that are not accounted for in that in that economic system. And so so how do we come up with a with a way of accounting that will really take into to consideration all that's truly valuable. And so Barry was was proposing well maybe like an energy economy if we think about just in terms of pure energy that that would be a way of valuing that that would be better than money. And Wes Jackson said, no, 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 that's not big enough. And so finally, Barry was like, what would be big enough? And Wes Jackson said, the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> so so Barry goes on in this essay to explore what he calls the great economy. Mm-hmm. And he says, in the great economy, no sparrow falls without being noticed. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the lilies of the field are of importance. Um, and and he, he says that it, all of our small economies must live within this great economy. Mm. And in this great economy, there, there's no discrete value that can ultimately be assigned to anything because, it's, because the value's already been given. Mm-hmm. The, the world that God has created has already been called good. So Christians don't have an understanding of freedom that is defined by the absence of restraint. Hmm. That's and that's really the, the way that that our that our economy, when we talk about free markets, that's typically what people mean. They mean, mm-hmm. you know, as little regulation as possible, as um, you know, if someone wants to move their factory to another place where they can pay cheaper wages, that's fine. Right. Uh, but but for Christians, we have a way of understanding freedom that's rooted in Christ, that living into Christ-likeness is the ultimate freedom. And it's, it's in living toward this concrete reality, this concrete good, mm-hmm. that we um, are able to be more truly free. And so we have a positive understanding of freedom, not just this negative understanding mm-hmm. of freedom. 
And and that's something that Barry very much brings into into his discussion of economy as well. Is that um, when it, it's that again the kingdom of God, this great economy that we are living in a in a world that already has been given value mm. and a given, um, a given world given, given to world. us. Yes. Yes. And um and and so it it is it is incumbent upon us to to sort of live carefully with within that within that world um mm-hmm. fearfully as as the scriptures and and the old spiritual teachers tell us and and that fearfulness being a, a kind of caution that mm-hmm. we should have in in how we how we live and and value things mm-hmm. and um I think about um, the example of um, there, there's a, a, a British writer who was influential on Gandhi um, and named John Ruskin, and, and he said that we should value all of the labor around us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should value and 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 for Gandhi when when he had interpreted that he, one of the things the practices he would do he would use a pencil all the way down to like the very very. <laughs> You know, no, because um, he wanted to value the labor of the person who had made that pencil. Mm. We live in such a sort of low-cost consumer society that I mean, I have a pencil sitting on my desk right now. That's you know, it's a plastic mechanical pencil. Um, I think it cost me like a dollar for five of them, and um, and it and it can be difficult to have that sort of mindset, and yet. It doesn't mean that I can't, and mm-hmm. I think that if I if I do recognize that through a proxy someone else made this pencil for me, mm-hmm. and um, and as a as a sort of holy act, I'm going to recognize the labor and um, and the goods that that were that were a part of the the creation of that of that pencil, then um, then that's something that I that I need to do, and um, and and that that practice can help influence how I see so many other aspects mm-hmm. of daily life and and may and may even draw me into wanting to to have objects um, have maybe even a more limited number of objects around me but objects that it's easier to live into that sort of honor mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Um, because I I really do know that for instance this cup that I have was crafted by a potter that I have met and um, from from local um, clays and and so so it's much easier to to live into that than it is this cheap plastic mechanical pencil yeah. on my desk well and I want to pull back in a word you used and, and and that's freedom because I mean I like what you did here you went from kind of the kind of the abstract the big picture but then brought it down to the the pencil in my hand but that these sort of movements of valuing the work that's gone into something, valuing the resources that God has given to us, that that's a real freedom. That's not a bondage of, I can't have this, I can't have that, but that kind of moving into something beautiful. And how can I in, enjoy objects where I'm not the benefactor of some sort of evil, of uh, a dehumanization, or a system that dehumanizes others in their, in their labor, but rather, you know, the creative efforts and energy of uh, of another person, right? And one of the things that I talk about in the book is the importance of of giving thanks, 
and giving thanks to God and giving thanks for all of those involved in in the production of a of a particular product. Um, and I, and I think that alongside that has to come um, lament at, and confession mm-hmm. at, at times. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about, um, you know, if we give thanks for a meal and we can, we can thank God for all the, the provision of food and, and for the, the work that, that helped us to, to earn the money to, to have that food and all of those who went into it, prepared it and raised it. But if we're eating a, a tomato, for instance, that's was grown um, near Naples, Florida. I, I have a friend, a pastor, who lives down the road from um, a lot of the big tomato plantations and has done a lot of work with the Immokalee workers. And you know, there there are a lot of migrant laborers who are who are picking these tomatoes and are oftentimes not paid um, well at all. And mm-hmm. um, and including a number of extremely exploitative relationships that that verge on on a kind of modern slavery and. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if I'm eating that tomato and I'm saying thank you to God um, for for that tomato, without at least in some ways acknowledging either my complete ignorance as to where it came from, or um, or confessing that it it came to me by means of an economy that um, is in in no way living um, in 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 harmony with that that mm-hmm. greater economy of the kingdom of God, I think that that's an important move that we need to make as as well. And then if we do that, hopefully that won't just mean that we're confessing every meal, but that it it will prod us on to to think more carefully about our choices and 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 so that maybe the next time we're we're buying a tomato, it's it's from a, a farmer that we can meet at the farmer's market and and know that we are paying a the fair cost of that of that tomato and and not just this sort of exploitative relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that's really good. I heard once this quote that the problem with American materialism is not the accumulation of goods, but the devaluing of goods. Mm. Not kind of appreciating and, you know, like that, knowing where this came from and what are the processes in place to where I get to uh, have this particular product. Absolutely. And I one of the things that Barry says is that he says, if you care about forest, buy good furniture. His point <laughs> is that, um, you know, so many people purchase furniture as this, you know, semi-disposable thing that, mm-hmm. but but if you have really well-crafted furniture that's not just particle board, and then it's something that will will last generations and not even just a lifetime and, mm-hmm. and will keep more forests intact. Right. And I, I really see some of this. These are spiritual practices. These are points of liberation that uh, being thoughtful, there's a simplicity to it. It's all good stuff. Okay, so I have, a, I have a goal that I've had for years that I have not actively pursued. Be curious to hear your opinion on it, okay? Sure. Could I have an outfit, head to toe, right? Glasses, shoes, whole clothing that is entirely fair trade? From the thread to the dyes to the right, do you think that's even possible? It, it would probably be difficult, but I but I would I mean I think that you could. Um, <laughs> I think that um, 
the the power of the global economy in a way um, and, and thinking about it in its sort of spiritual power sense too makes it difficult to trace things to to their to their origin mm-hmm. but but on the positive side i think there are a number of people who are trying to live more deeply into the offerings of this alternative economy that that is beginning to develop so for instance a friend of mine here in little rock opened a a local food restaurant mm-hmm. and um it took him a very very long time to do that but it is there are many restaurants that feature particular items from local farmers but but everything um except for the wheat that the bread is made from but is also provided from a local but the but the bread itself is provided from a local bakery but everything else if you eat a if you eat a vegetable there or you eat um a piece of meat or anything else that's that that's consumed in that restaurant um is going to be something that was produced by an arkansas farmer that that has had a direct relationship with this restaurant and it's not a fancy kind of place either it's it's like a burger joint um so <laughs> it's um so so it's also something that, that's accessible and there are more and more businesses like that um that that i think are it's important for um for christians to support those sorts of endeavors that um that that move in this economy of god's kingdom Say say a little about Sabbath. Sure. So um, so Barry, one one of Barry's key practices, and it and it's been a practice for 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 many many years, has been to really embrace a day in which he does no labor. Mm-hmm. But even though he's not laboring, he oftentimes takes a walk in the woods. Um, or will go out on on a little boat out on on the river um, below his house, and if it comes to him, he says he never forces it. But if it comes to him, he'll write a poem. Hmm. And so there there's a whole series of of Sabbath poems that that Barry's written, and and many of them are are, are some of the the poems that that have most resonated with with his readers. But Barry thinks that it's important for us to let the world be mm. and um, and to recognize the the gifts that are all around us and, and I do think that that's really that that the blessing that that we can experience in Sabbath and to simply have a day in which what we are experiencing is not something that we have worked to create but simply delighting in the creation mm-hmm. that has been given to us and delighting in in the abundance that's there that um and and so so i i i talk a little bit about in the book um my own family's practice of sabbath because part of the book is exploring sort of some of these practices that the berry has helped encourage for me i mean of course having grown up a christian and i had some inklings of the, this idea of Sabbath. But Barry's really the one who helped to push me into this this really deeper practice of, of, of the discipline. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that my family does and on Sabbath, and this is this is very much in line with with Barry's practice and what he encourages, but is to to always, weather permitting, 
spend time in the natural world mm. where um, where we are in a place that is not existing by human cultivation and is just there as God has given it and witnessing its its beauty and abundance. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, a profoundly spiritual experience, but also um, one that helps discipline everything that else that happens in in our week and um and and the rest of our lives mm-hmm. and um and one of the the things that we often do as we go into into a forest is we also forage um mm-hmm. for whatever we can find i'm i'm not a not a great um edible plant expert um by any means but um you know if there's a blackberry patch um in the summer then then we'll spend some time picking blackberries and enjoying those and um lately here in arkansas we've we've had a lot of um chanterelle mushrooms and um it's a really wonderful tasting wild mushroom that's easy to identify and so (laughs) my daughters have um have have really enjoyed um finding chanterelles where we can and and collecting those and bringing them back and and cooking them and Mm -hmm. Um, so Sabbath is, is a place where we can really live into this reality that our lives are given and that the world is given and that the good that we experience does not happen because of our intelligence or Mm. our, um, productivity or our long hours at the office or that the best things that we can experience are things that, that happen as gifts. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. from a giver that um, is is beyond any of us and and so Sabbath Sabbath is a way to live into that um, mm-hmm. for for Barry and it's it's um, it's something that I think Christians would do well to recover because as um, as I talk a little bit about in the book um, you know Jesus's um, violations of, of, of Sabbath codes are not because Jesus doesn't value Sabbath but instead because Jesus is ushering in this new era of Sabbath life, that this, this time of jubilee that, that goes beyond all particular practices of Sabbath, but moves into every aspect of life. So, so our practice of Sabbath is really just helping us to see this reality that's going on um, all around us and should infuse all of our, mm-hmm. all of our life. Uh, but this idea of letting the world be then that is, you know, so much of our lives are trying to kind of manipulate or change things and that our work, however holy our work is, that we're, you know, kind of shaping the world. But to let it be for a day, um, that just sounds so wonderful. <laughs> it, it, it does. But, but I think it, it, it also, it helps to guide, guide our work so mm-hmm. that, um, and, and, this, and this is where the issue of sort of contemplation comes in. Um, you know, as, as someone who's who's working in pastoral ministry, I've been deeply formed, um, and, and, I, and I'll say that I'm I'm young in this, so I'm, I'm not speaking <laughs> from any great expertise, but um, but I'm trusting the expertise of of people like Eugene Peterson, and and Peterson I think does such a great job of of guiding pastors in part by reminding pastors that the work is to pray. And the work is to be present to God and to bring that presence to other people, mm-hmm. and um, and it's you know of course there are the nitty gritty task of of 
of church life, but but the job is not running a church. The job is 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 being this faithful presence to God and and to each other. And I think that when we remind ourselves of that, and we and we and our pattern is letting the world be, then it will change how how we might work. And so. Um, within agriculture, and it's actually grown out into another a whole other kind of really way of reflecting on the world that I think is helpful for Christians. There's this movement called permaculture, and mm-hmm. it's rooted in rather than coming in and trying to just mold the landscape into a productive place for human desires and ends, um, it, it instead is is rooted in deep observation of a place. And then recognizing the patterns that are already at play in nature and then working from those to then cultivate that space. But it's, it's instead of imposing this, this sort of outside will onto the landscape where, you know, so many of the, the large scale farms that are, that are near me, I mean, there's a lot of money in drainage ditches and clearing land and, I mean, it's basically a land that has been permanently altered so that we can grow a lot of soybeans or a lot of cotton. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the actual the, the land patterns themselves, there are no trees because then the machines can't move easily through um, through the landscape. It's not just that the trees would be a problem for the agriculture, the things that are being grown there. It's really that the trees are a problem for the machines that are going to move through there. So mm. it's this this landscape that's been very much manipulated all according to human desire and and work. And um, But permaculture takes a very different approach and instead looks at, let's, let's look at the landscape and look what the land wants to do. Mm. Um, and And how can we recognize that and cultivate it? So if there's a spot that's wet, why don't you grow plants that like that um, mm-hmm. and and mix in some some things that are going to hold the soil there long term and some other plants that are going to move in year in year out and um, if you have a dry spot, you know plant plant something else there and and um, and I think that that way of being way of thinking about the land is is really what should be resulting for Christians from from a practice of Sabbath is that we mm. take that Sabbath experience of letting the world be and of just being in the world that God has given and then take that into our work and instead of fighting every everything to try to mold it to our will, instead working with it. Mm-hmm. And Barry's been very influenced by this Japanese um, agriculturist, um, Fukuhama, who developed this way of agriculture called do nothing farming and <laughs> and of course he's doing things but but it but it's again following the same the same principle that mm-hmm. instead of just trying to to manipulate the landscape we instead look at the landscape and let the creation live into the abundance that wants to to mm-hmm. move toward if if we get out of the way mm-hmm. working with the land rather than against it you see this, I could just totally picture this kind of prayerful exchange of, God, how should I farm this land? You know, what, what are the mechanisms you've set in place that can be useful to uh, my needs to produce food? <laughs> well, and it, it, but, but, it, but it requires a slowness and mm-hmm. kind of attention and, um, and, and observation that that our, our culture does not in, encourage and mm-hmm. 
but so important to our lives of prayer mm-hmm. and to our to our way of, of being with other people's is, is attentiveness. Mm-hmm. And that is is another thing that that really comes through this this practice of this sort of agriculture, but also the the practice of, of Sabbath. And I, I think I, I know many pastors who have read Barry's work and found everything that he says about farming to be deeply applicable to to their congregations. <laughs> and um, and um, so so it's it's not it's not even if he's writing about farming, it's not just about farming. Right. Right. That's no, good. It sounds like simplicity to me. Yes. Christian practice of simplicity. Hey, Reagan, this is this is really fun. I very much appreciate you having me on the podcast. Well, there you have it. Again, my guest was Reagan Sutterfield. His book is titled Wendell Berry and the Given Life. He's a delightful writer. I found it to be a really inspiring read. And speaking of reading, it's not too late to sign up for this season of the Renabari Book Club. I invite you to join us as we work through a number of wonderful books. Hey, have a great week.